Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining us today. And uh, this is a ministry of Hickory Ridge Community Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. And we're so excited about the opportunities of being involved in our community, being involved in reaching North Carolina and Virginia with the gospel of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, our motto is Hickory Ridge Community Church, where Virginia and North Carolina meet God. So we are excited about the opportunity to pull together and reach our culture, reach our community with the good news of Jesus Christ. Well, on today's broadcast, and this may go into tomorrow's broadcast as well, I want to talk to you about game changers, right? And uh, pulling together and uh, the changes that take place when you team up with God's people. Now, belief is not simply about individual performance. Sometimes we get hung up on this belief, right? This whole mindset, if it's to be, it's going to be because of me. And we get stuck on that. But when we think about pulling together and we think about a game changer in our lives, it's not simply individual performance. And I think this is what has really maybe plagued the church. I mean, uh, we look at our pastors as heroes, our worship team as heroes, our ministries as heroes. There really should be just one hero, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of our ministry from the pulpit ministry to the worship team to the youth ministry to the children's ministry to everything that the church does, It ought to be to bring glory to Christ. In other words, all of us ought to be grouping up together so that the Lord can be glorified. Now, team performance is essential. And when we think about how we can multiply by joining together with other people, one of the most powerful forces on the earth is a team bonded together by a shared belief in each other and in their mission. That would be what I would call an elite team. Somebody put it this way, an elite team has four levels of belief. Level number one is that they have a shared belief that creates a team with vision and clarity of purpose. And so they're gathered around for a common vision, a common purpose. And so this team can have laser-like focus that ignores all distractions because everything's about the purpose. Okay, so the church, we are gathered with one purpose to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ, and everything that we do, say, think, every ministry that we start, every service that we gather together to worship, it's all about Christ. That is our primary vision, and we need to always clarify that purpose. Now, somebody put it this way, it's not about me. It's about glorifying Christ. Here's the second thing that an elite team has. An elite team has a shared belief that creates a team with strength of will. And so they gather together with a common vision, but now they're sharing a common belief system. A team with a relentless effort that says, we will do whatever it takes. If they all had that belief, right? Whatever it takes, then they're going to get the job done. There's a third level of an elite team. That is, they have a shared belief that creates a team with resilience. So we've talked about vision and purpose. We've talked about a belief that we are working this thing together, the strength of all of us together. And now we're talking about resilience. A team that responds and performs in the face of adversity. A team that gets better when it gets harder. In other words, the more pressure you put on them, the more resilient they become. And there's one other thing that we see in an elite team. An elite team also has a shared belief that ignites and activates the team. It gives a team full access to its collective talent, a belief that all of the team members are vital. All of the capacities of our team together are vital. Now, we think about the early church. The reason the early church was so powerful is they really were 
an elite team. Although sometimes they struggled, obviously, not pulling together and sometimes being glory seekers of their, uh, kind of like today's church, we struggle the same thing. But their common foundation was based on these four things. Well, let's look at how we can have our lives changed as we pull together. We're looking today at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, all the way down to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 3. Let me read the text, and then I'm going to give you some reminders of why we should pull together. 1 Peter 1, 22. Since you have been purified, your souls, your souls have been purified. So we have a soul. That's, that's really where conversion takes place. When you're born again, your soul is converted. And Peter goes on, he says, how does this happen? How does our soul get purified? By obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren. Love one another fervently with a pure heart. Uh, so we begin by seeing one of the earmarks of a person that's been truly born again is that they are changed by the Holy Spirit as they obey the truth given through God's word, and then they have this genuine, bona fide love for the brethren. Now, if you're listening to me today and say, well, I love the Lord Jesus Christ, but I don't like my brothers and sisters of Christ. That's why I'm not involved in the church. I hate to abruptly awaken you, but according to this passage, you may not have been converted. You may not have the Spirit of God living within you. If there's no sincere love for the brethren, if there's no sincere love in a pure heart, you may not be born again because verse 23 says, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. In other words, when I'm born again, even those people that I don't love, I start loving because I am an unlovable person that the spirit of God has reached through and the God of the universe converts me. When that conversion takes place, it changes my love for the brethren. That is one of the earmarks of salvation. Well, let's continue on. Peter reminds us that we're born again of not corruptible seed, but incorruptible seed. That's the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Verse 24, all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as a flower of the grass. The grass withers and flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Uh, so get this, if the word of God is implanted in me and I'm converted, I will live forever. The soul, the real part of me, will live forever. Now, this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. And now we get into chapter number two. Therefore, lay aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, all envy, and all evil speaking as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So here we are given some really powerful reminders as to why we should pull together. Number one, things are temporary and should be used and enjoyed, but never loved and never worshiped. Paul said to young Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. You see, no matter how devastating our struggles or our disappointments or our troubles may be, they are only temporary. Now, Josh McDowell says, no matter what happens to you, no matter the depth of the tragedy or the pain that you face, no matter how death 
stalks you and how it stalks your loved ones. The resurrection promises that you have a future of immeasurable good. You see, we are temporary. Things are temporary, but we, our soul lives on forever. That's why in Hebrews 13, 15, it says, keep yourself from the love of money and just be content or learn to be content with what you have. For God has promised he's never going to leave us. He's never going to forsake us. Now, money may forsake us and it's going to leave us one day. It'll leave us high and dry. I was kidding around one day. I says, you know, money talks. There's no doubt it talks. It always says goodbye to me, but money talks. And one day it will leave you. So keep yourself free from the love of money. Remember that the Lord will never leave you, never forsake you. Things are temporary. So use them and enjoy them. Never love things. Never worship things. We're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our mind. Here's the second thing, second reminder as to why we should pull together. Christians live forever and should be loved and respected, never used, never devalued. You know, we're in a building program at our church, and and uh, I'm having a little difficult time getting all the contractors lined up to do the work. And, and I was talking to a contractor just yesterday, and uh, he says, you know, I'm kind of leery. Uh, of doing business with churches. And uh, and he says, man, churches in the past have burnt me. And I said, well, listen, let me give the flip side of that coin. Uh, we as a church have been, uh, we, we've been ripped off by contractors as well. Uh, it's not just churches that do that. And I said, I'm sorry for whatever church took advantage of you. But I says, I will promise you that you won't have to worry about that I said, we got the money set aside. It is all ready. Uh, we're just looking for a contract that can do an honest job uh, and, and we'll pay them an, an honest you know, reimbursement or, or compensation for their work. And we're not trying to get something done free. Uh, we're not trying to scalp anybody, take advantage of anybody. Uh, we just expect a good job to be done and we'll pay you timely and we'll pay you when the work is done. And so Christians are to be understanding that we should love and respect and never use, never devalue other believers. First Thessalonians chapter 5 says, I beg you, brothers, to know them which labor among you and who are over you in the Lord. And this is that they admonish you and you're to esteem them very highly in love. Why? Because of their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. In Philippians 2, it says, you know, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Man, just be humble. Thinking of others as more important than yourselves. You know, I remember as a kid, my mom would always tell me, this is how you spell joy. Jesus first, others second, yourself last. We tend to get that out of order, don't we? Uh, we kind of put ourselves on top and says if we can help somebody else, great. And, and then the Lord gets last place in our lives. But let's flip that around. You see, Christians are forever. So we need to love them. We need to respect them. We need to encourage them. Here is a third thing that we must remember of why we should pull together. Things are temporary. Christians are forever. And number three, God's word is eternal. And it should be honored. It should be obeyed. It should never be disregarded or disobeyed. Isaiah put it this way, the grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows upon it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of God stands forever. Isn't that great to know? The word of God endures forever. The psalmist put it this way in Psalm 119, verse 89. Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens forever. 
You know, as I think about the power of God's Word, you know, magnets are such an amazing thing to me. And we know a lot of things about magnets. There's six basic facts that most people know about magnets. And I want to share with you these six facts just to kind of remind you. And then I kind of wrap it together uh, as to why this is so important for us. First of all, you know, a magnet, it has two ends and they're called poles, one of which is called the North Pole and the other kind of the North Seeking Pole and the other is the South or the South Seeking Pole. And so as I look at my life, I have two natures. I have a nature that leans to the North Pole and tends to want to honor the Lord, but then I have that South-leaning pole that wants to serve myself. And so Paul put it this way, Galatians chapter 5, I say unto you, walk by the Spirit, don't gratify the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, the desires of the Spirit against the flesh, for these two are opposed to each other. So to prevent you from doing what you would. That's what these things are there. This is constant battle that's taking place. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. So feed that north-facing, north-seeking pole. Now, there's a second thing that we know about a magnet. The north pole of one magnet attracts the south pole of the second magnet. Well, the north pole of one magnet repels other magnets' north poles. And you know this, you put two north poles of a magnet, they repel each other, but if you put a north and south, they are attracted to each other. So we have the common saying, like poles repel, unlike poles attract. As Christians, we are both attractional on one hand, and we are repulsive on the other hand. Well, so are non-Christians, right? Righteousness is both attractional and repulsive. Sin is both attractional and repulsive. So we must constantly remind ourselves there is a great battle that is taking place within us. And we want to do good, but the flesh is weak, and we want to do the right thing, but we struggle. Here's the third thing that we remember about a magnet. You know, a magnet creates this invisible area of magnetism, and it's called the magnetic field. And as we think about the magnetic field, this field that is created, you know, when Jesus was here on this earth, he had a very important ministry, and, and it was emphasizing the helping and the needs of others. For example, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, this is a classic illustration that is still part of our language today. Well, there are good charitable efforts outside of the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, some research was done, and, and the research has concluded that Christian charities stand out above all the rest. Uh, so they point out to charities like the Salvation Army, all of the religious hospitals in, the, in, in our world today, and how the church is supporting soup kitchens and thrift shops. And, and in every community, we have these Christians that have compassion and they're reaching out with mercy. Not only do we see that as a magnetic field that is attractional, but there's also in the education realm. Uh, from the beginning of Judaism, from which Christianity is derived, there is a, an emphasis on the written word. This phenomenon of education for the masses has its roots in the Protestant Reformation. Uh, for example, in order to promote the Bible literacy, Christians have been leaders in education. This trend was accelerated with the advent of the printing press at about the same time as the Protestant Reformation. Many of the world's languages were first set to writing by Christian missionaries in order for people to read the Bible. As a matter of fact, in America, uh, the first law to require education of the masses 
was passed by the Puritans. I get this. This law in 1647 was called the Old Deluder Satan Act. (laughs) And the name was a reference to the devil, right? Who Christians believe get this foothold into people's lives because of their ignorance of Scripture. And so the Puritans came up with this law. It says, in order to defeat that old deluder Satan, we want you to know how to read. And so the public school system was actually started to teach young people how to read and how to write so that they would know how to defeat the enemy based upon God's word. Well, there's something else about a magnet that just is astounding to me. The North Pole of a magnet points roughly towards Earth's North Pole and vice versa. Now, that's because the Earth itself has a magnetic field. There's magnetic materials, and it behaves like this gigantic magnet. You know, as Christians, our lives should always point others to Christ, who is up in heaven, sitting on the right hand of God the Father. Everything we should do should be involved in pointing others to Christ. Well, here's the fifth thing about a magnet. You know, if you cut a magnet bar in half, it's a bit like cutting an earthworm in half. You get two brand new similar magnets, each with its own North and South Pole. Well, of course I'm joking about that. Uh, You don't get two worms if you cut a worm in half, but you do to get two magnets. And so this is a valuable lesson. When the enemy tries to cut us in half and he tries to divide us, we ought to look at that as an opportunity not for us to be divided from each other, but to be divided up so that we can share the message with more people. I mean, after all, that's how the early church gets started. Many of the Christians were hunkering down in Jerusalem, and they had to get out the gospel through Judea and Sumeria and the uttermost parts of the world. And so how did the Lord push them out? He did it through persecution. He says, if I allow you to be persecuted, that's going to push you out to share the gospel. Well, there's one other thing I want to share with you about a magnet. And then we'll talk about how unity makes all of this possible, okay? You know, if you run a magnet a few times, over something that is an unmagnetized piece of metal or iron. You can convert that iron into a magnet as well. It's called magnetization. I rub it over there enough, and all of a sudden, the powers of that magnet get transferred to that piece of iron, and that becomes a magnet itself. The same is true about us sharing the gospel. You see, when we rub off on other people, those who know Christ, we change them by the Spirit of God that lives within us. They become followers of Christ. Now, all this is is made possible because of the unity that we share as brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, I was thinking as I was putting this message together, you know, somebody will will probably listen to this message and they say, well, I need the support of somebody. I need somebody to help me out along my journey, and I've got a lot of hang-ups. And so I want to talk to you briefly about our ministry called Celebrate Recovery. Every Sunday night at 6 o'clock at Hickory Ridge Community Church, you are invited to come and be part of this ministry. Now, this ministry is not just for those who struggle with alcohol and drugs. And I think so many times we think, well, that's what that Celebrate Recovery for, AA and NA and all that stuff. Uh, that's for those, oh, those people over there. I don't struggle with drugs. I don't struggle with alcohol. Uh, did you know that 70% of the people that come to Celebrate Recovery don't have an addiction to alcohol or drugs? They come because they realize there's something in their life that they can't get past. They're struggling, and they need the support of a fellow believer in Christ to help them navigate through that time. You see, when we unify with other believers, several things happen. Our souls are actually purified. 
by coming together. You know, iron sharpens iron and one person can sharpen another. Our souls become purified. You know, we are unified together. We obey the truth. You know, that same truth, the same word. And I'm taking us back here to verse number 23 of the passage that we're looking at today. So many amazing things happen. Verses 24 and 25 says that we also have sincere love. We're same in our sins, right? We're all, we're all sinners, but we have the same Savior. And what draws us together is not the sin that we share in common, but the Savior that we share in common. And we have this sincere love. That's why Paul says, let love be without hypocrisy. Let it be sincere. Abhor, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, and give preference to one another and honor one another. You know, when I think about Christ-like maturity, Christ-like maturity is being like Jesus, that is putting off certain things and taking on certain things. The more mature you become, the more it will show in your behavior, your attitude, and your, in your speech. Luke 18 says this, That seed fell, and it fell among the thorns. This is symbolic of the one who is not mature. But as they go on their way, they, the cares of this world choke up that particular sprout that's coming out of the ground. And Jesus is very clear. He says, the pleasures and the riches of this world choke out that plant that's coming out. And it says, and they do not mature. You see, you will never mature as long as you are controlled by circumstances. You know, circumstances come and go. And most circumstances in our lives are totally out of our control. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 6, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. He says, I'm going to give you a message that is a message of wisdom given by the Spirit. You see, a Spirit-controlled person is one who is not following the, the wisdom of this world. Paul continues in 1 Corinthians 14, and he says, Now, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to think any longer like children. Now, when it comes to evil, yeah, yeah, be like a baby. But when it comes to your faith, be mature. Don't let little things get you discouraged. You know, be really naive about evil, but be real mature in how you deal with people and how you respond to non-essential things. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your understanding of these things. Be innocent as babes when it comes to evil, but be mature in your understanding of what matters of this kind. In other words, press on toward that goal and that prize. Don't get detained. Don't get deterred by little nonsensical things that don't amount to a hill of beans at the end of the day. You know, as I think about people dropping out of church and getting discouraged, you know, I spent time talking with them, and it's always the most insignificant things that get them discouraged. I had a person one time leave the church because uh, we didn't use them enough on the worship team. I had another person one time leave the church because somebody didn't, uh, didn't say hello to them uh, when they were coming into the church, and, and they got busy, and they, and they thought they were giving them a cold shoulder. And I says, I don't think that person was giving you a cold shoulder. I said, let me bring that person over to you and get this thing resolved. I brought them over, and sure enough, this person says, I'm sorry, I didn't even see you. My mind was somewhere. Can, can you believe somebody would be that immature? I said, oh, I'm leaving the church over that insignificant things. Paul says, grow up. Don't let those little things get you down. And Paul went so far as to say, I, I want you to even follow my example. He says, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of these things. 
And if you differ on some little thing, God's going to make that clear to you. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. Well, listen, I want you to join me tomorrow because I'm going to give you part two of the importance of growing up and the importance of being mature and how we can have a game changer in our lives if we will pull together as a team. You'll see your life radically changed. You know, I am a strong believer in the power of the church. I have devoted myself to the church, right? And uh, and, and my whole life is devoted to the church. I have three major loves in my life, right? I, I love the Lord, I love His church, and I love my family. Uh, those are basically the three things that I love, uh, and that's about the extent of the things that I really get excited about. Oh yeah, I follow sports a little bit, and, and I know enough to be dangerous when it comes to sports. And all those things are fun, and all those things are entertaining, but I tell you what, God and his family and the church, God, family, and church, those are the three primary loves that I have. And you discover that when you make those first in your life, it'll be a game changer for you. Now listen, if I can help you with anything, if I can pray for you, you know every Thursday morning, we have a prayer team that gathers together. I'd love to pray for you. Shoot me a text. Here's my cell phone number, 252 267 2365 252 267-2365. I'd love to hear from you. God bless you. I look forward to talking with you tomorrow. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ there is always hope for your heart.